For those of you that are wondering about the sequence of events today, you know, normally we do baby dedications at the beginning of the service. And today we decided since we had several families that were doing it, we were going to save it for the end so we could really celebrate well and also uh, give the uh, parents a chance to kind of sit in church and enjoy that. So at the end of the service, Brian is going to bring up the kids. Now, if I pull a Jeff and try to just close the service and let you all go before he brings the kids up and we do the child dedication, somebody wave at me and stop me, okay? Um, some of you... Just yell at us, that's fine, Walt. Yeah, you can do that. Um, I can trust Walt to do that. Some of you know that I forget things frequently. In my last church, I forgot the offering more than once. If you want to make the trustees of the church very unhappy, that's a really easy way to do it, I found. Just forget the offering repeatedly. Uh, they don't like that. So anyway, I do forget things. I forget to put my capo on from time to time, which allows the worship team great laughter and joy. Um, but anyway, we'll, we're going to forge forward. We are just finishing up, or we finished two weeks ago, a series and so we're kind of jumping into a new one. The, the series that we're going to get into today is simply called gospel. Um, some of you may have heard that word before. It's a very popular word in the church, and it literally means good news. That's what the, me, the word means in the Greek. Now, in classic literature, it has some other shades of meaning, some different things that are kind of attached to it. But in this perspective, we simply want to focus on the idea of good news. Because what we're going to do for the next few weeks, all the way up through Easter Sunday is we're going to be looking at excerpts from a certain part of the Bible that is at the beginning of the New Testament, the first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which have come to be known as the Gospels, right? Because they contain the story. They contain the good news of what God did in sending Jesus to this earth, allowing him to be born in a manger, living his life among us so that we could see who God is and what he is concerned about. And then, of course, he went to the cross of Calvary and died for us. And so throughout the next few weeks, we're going to be taking excerpts from Jesus' life, um, various places. It's not necessarily going to be in chronological order, and we're going to study those and go through them. So today... I picked a text from Luke chapter 2, verse 21 through 38. Now, some of you heard Luke chapter 2 and went, Pastor, that's the Christmas story. Christmas is over. Get on with it, right? Any, anybody hear that? Anybody like hear that in your head? Luke chapter 2, that's Christmas. I got news for you. After the Christmas story, the very same Jesus continued to live. Did you know that? Some people don't seem to connect. You mean baby Jesus was the same as adult Jesus? Yes! He had a childhood and everything. It's great. Um, but in Luke chapter 2, verse 21, we kind of get the rest of the story, the, the next part of the story, what happened with Jesus and Mary and Joseph after Jesus was born. So let me read this. It's a little bit long, so again, feel free to nudge your neighbor if they start nodding off. Um, let me read this so you can get the whole story in your head, and then we're going to come back and talk about it in a little more detail. The scripture says in verse 21, Luke chapter 2, eight days later, when the baby, Jesus in other words, was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel, even before he was conceived. Then it was time for their purification offering, as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and he had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah that day. 
the Spirit, led him into the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to, the, to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace. Anybody else a little weirded out by that whole statement? That's a little strange. As you have promised, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to, to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very own soul. I don't know about you, but one of the hardest things about being a parent is the concerns that you have about the child's future. Not only are you going to be able to take care of this child, because if it's your first child, you've never done that before, and if you're like me, when we had our first of five, so we've got some experience, um, the very first one came out, I was terrified, I was scared to death, I had no idea what to do in the next minutes, let alone what was going to happen for the rest of his life. And it wasn't until a couple days later that suddenly it began to occur to me, this child is going to live like a full life. What is he going to be? What's he going to grow up to be? Is he going to be successful? Is he going to be a failure? Is he going to do okay in school? Is he going to be good at sports? Most importantly, will he like the teams that I root for? <laughs> what is this child's future going to hold? And then there's this whole question. There's this whole question of the world that we're allowing these children to grow up in or the world that someday they will have to be adults in. I don't know about you, but the world today is not like the world of my childhood. And I had a pretty good childhood. And I gotta tell you, I, I know that I'm blessed and not everybody did, but I loved my childhood. I loved growing up on a part-time farm. I didn't like all the work that went with that, but I loved having open fields to run in and cornfields to play in and woods to climb trees in and, and hollow logs to find coons in. <laughs> That's an experience if you've never had it. I just love my childhood, and I always thought to myself, man, I want my kids to grow up the same way that I did. And I got news for you. The world is nothing like the world I grew up in. And you know what? In 10 years, it's going to be completely different again. The world is changing at an ever-accelerating um, pace. The world of today is not going to be the day of tomorrow. And so all of these things bring concern into our lives. And I'm sure that Mary and Joseph felt some of those same concerns for their baby, even though there had been prophecies about him. And they probably knew a little more about his future than they did. But one of the most fascinating things about this text is, is the fact that even in all of that, they had some areas that they could take comfort in. And one of the first ones is found almost in the very first verse. In fact, it is the very first verse. Then it was um, eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus. Listen to this. The name given him by the angel before he was even conceived. Listen, one of the first things that brought Mary and Joseph peace, and maybe that can bring us peace as well, not only as we raise children, but just as we live life, is the fact that God knows us. In fact, he not only knows us, but he knew us before we were even born. Now, isn't that a little strange? 
Now, I have to testify that nowhere in my family history is there anything written down about my parents seeing an angel and the angel saying, you're going to bear a son and you will name him Jeffrey. That's not in my family history. That didn't happen. But just because an angel didn't say it doesn't mean that what the rest of Scripture teaches isn't true. God knew you before you were ever born. There's some words in Psalm 139 where the psalmist expresses this desire. And again, this was, I believe, David that wrote this psalm. This is a man that that was called the man after God's own heart, a man who spent more time probably alone with God than anybody who ever lived. Listen to what he says. He's talking directly to God. He says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. How many of you are glad that we live in a diverse world with diverse people and complex people? How many of you men are glad that your wives are so incredibly complex? (laughs) I I wish God would have put a little footnote there with some instructions for men when it comes to dealing with their complexities of their, their wives, but he didn't do that. And we're all complex in our own way. He goes on to say, your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Listen, I hope you'll take comfort in this today. And if you're a parent If you're a grandparent raising kids, this happens often. If you're a a family member who just helps with kids, if you're a member of this church who works with the kids, you need to know this. God knows those little ones that you're raising. He knew them before they were born, and he has a plan for them. He knows every moment of their entire lives. It is literally stretched out before him. Now, I know this is complicated. Some people are like, well, how does God know the decisions we're going to make? How is every day mapped out and, and we still have free will? I got news for you. It just is, right? You see, God created everything that is, including time. God does not stand under time. He stands apart from it. And so when God sees time, he sees everything all at once. He's not locked into time like we are where we have to live a moment and hope that the next moment's okay. He can see all the things that are happening all at the same time and he can see every choice that you're ever gonna be presented with and know the outcome and yet still not take away your, your choice, your free will. That's just who he is. And that God is the one that has said he will be there. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. That God knew you before you were born and has a plan not only for you, but for the little ones in your life, whether you're a parent, grandparent, teacher, whatever it might be. And that should give us some comfort. That should give us some courage as we look toward the future. God knew all about you before you were ever born. Then as we kind of take the next part of the text in verses 22 and following, we get to that place where I think um, um, Mary and Joseph try to take some solace. They try to get some rest in a tradition, you know, because as new parents, you have this confusion. What do I do next? And, and so Mary and Joseph are there. They were, you know, the baby was born in a stable. We don't know whether they found a place to live after that, but it would appear that they remained somewhere near Bethlehem for at least a couple of days because on the eighth day, the baby would have needed to have been circumcised. That's how they did it. Eight days after you're born, if it's a male child, you circumcise the child. Then according to the law of Moses, the woman would have to wait 33 more days. This was all specified in the Old Testament law. I'm, I'm just describing i'm not advocating she had to wait 33 days before she could go to the temple and be declared ceremonially clean again because of giving birth to a baby 
Now, personally, I think women should have 33 days just to sit and do nothing because they push that baby out. Can I get an amen? I mean, they should get a rest. But in this case, after 33 days, they were able to go into the temple. So after the, the 33 days were up, they made the journey, I'm assuming, from Bethlehem, probably to Jerusalem, which was approximately five miles away from there. And they would go into the temple, and they would offer the proper sacrifices, and the priests would then call Mary, or name her as being clean, so that she could go into the temple and present her child for dedication. Now, interestingly enough, the fact that the scripture specifies that they brought two birds for the sacrifice, that tells us that Mary and Joseph were not doing very well financially, because in the Old Testament law, it said that the sacrifice for this was supposed to be a one-year-old lamb and a bird. But there was a a kind of a little clause that that you could use if you were poor and did not have a lamb. You were allowed to use two birds as a substitute for the sacrifice. And so we know from the story that Mary and Joseph were poor. And I would imagine as they were looking at this whole situation and, and looking forward to this baby's dedication that they found some solace in the tradition of their culture, in the tradition of their people, in the fact that the next steps for them were, ma- ma- were basically uh, laid out. They didn't have to choose. They knew what had to be done. They had to have the boy circumcised. They had to go to the temple. They had to make the sacrifice. They had to do it. I would imagine that they were thinking to themselves, finally some normal normalcy in our lives. Finally, a little bit of common, a little bit of everyday. Because let's be honest, the birth of Jesus was not common or ordinary, amen? Amen. I mean, an angel shows up and says to Mary, hi, realize you haven't consummated your marriage yet, but you're pregnant. Yeah, oh, thanks for that. Joseph, oh yeah, your wife's pregnant, it's not yours, we get it, but it's God's, so it's okay, go ahead and marry her. Okay? Uh, Oh, by the way, uh, you're almost ready to have a baby, guess what? You get to travel now to Bethlehem because some weird king said something or other fantastic. Hey, guess what? When you get there, not going to be a place for you to stay, so you're going to have your baby in a barn. That's where my wife would have left me right there. She would have said, nope, (laughs) nope. Going to somebody else's hometown. We're just out of here. Not going to happen. Oh, by the way, a bunch of shepherds outside the door say the hillside's just filled up with angels that are singing about your child, and they want to come in and see it. That's another spot my wife would have said, nope. Unless they have a hand-washing sink here, those people are not coming in. Just saying. But you get the picture. Nothing about this birth had been common or ordinary or plain. And I would imagine that they were looking for some solace in the tradition, in in going through the motions, in the traditions of their people. And friends, I believe that traditions are important. In, in 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 our day and age, we have a tendency to kind of set tradition aside, to say that's for somebody else, that's for an older generation. We don't need that anymore. We can make our own way, and certainly we can. God has given us amazing talents and abilities and gifts and brains. But let me tell you something. Traditions are how one generation passes on what they've learned to the next generation so that we don't have to make all of the same mistakes over again. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I get it. My generation was one of the first to say, we don't need any of that. Parenting, ah, we know how to do that. We have books on that. We'll read those instead of listening to our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents. I got to tell you, it's comical now that I've lived 50 years on this earth to see some of the things that are cycling back around. The people are, are amazed. Look at this new wisdom. And I'm like, yeah, my grandma told me that. That's not new. Hello, people. Have you seen this? Is, am I the only one that sees that? Some of the stuff that is cycling back around, especially when it comes to parenting. Hey, did you know you should do this? Mm-hmm. 
Where did you hear that? Have you read this book? Nope, didn't read the book. Had a grandma, (laughs) had a mom. She taught me this stuff. Listen, every generation should certainly make its own path. Every generation should certainly discover new wisdom and new things. But if every generation is smart, we will stand to some degree on the foundation of the generations before us because they have a lot to teach us. And in tradition, we can sometimes find a rest from the confusion of life as we simply walk through the motions of what has been prescribed for us to do, giving our minds a chance to rest and relax instead of always trying to invent something new. And I think Mary and Joseph found rest in the tradition of going to the temple to dedicate their child, at least (laughs) until they got there. (laughs) Because when they got there, there was this guy named Simeon standing there. Now this is where it gets really weird. And I got to tell you, if I had gone to church with our firstborn son and we were getting ready to dedicate it, much like we're going to do here today, it was at the uh, South Meridian Church of God in Anderson, Indiana. We were up there with a bunch of people we didn't know. We were college students there. We didn't know anybody. And we were up there dedicating our children. Um, If I got up there and somebody walked up on the platform, took my child away from me and said, this is the hope of all mankind. I can die happy now that I've seen him. I would have been so weirded out. I would have probably dropped, you know, everything and punched the guy in the face and took my baby back and ran out of there. Wouldn't you? Does that sound normal to you? I mean, you want to talk about some pressure and some expectations. Hey, I love the fact you brought your baby here to dedicate them today. Can I hold them? Sure. Wow, I can die happy now that I've seen this child. Whoa, what? Are you unstable? No, he wasn't. He was filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And what did we say last week? That sometimes when you're obeying God, sometimes when you're following God, other people will look at you and say, you must be nuts. And I would have thought Simeon was nuts. Because to make matters worse, he didn't just say, wow, this is a great baby. Now I can die for having seen it. He said, this baby is the hope for all the people in the world. He is the salvation for the whole world. Now, first of all, I would object to that because it's a baby. How is a baby the hope for the whole world? But second, as a good Jew, I would have objected and said, no, this is the hope of the Israelites because we don't care about the rest of the world. At this time in history, Israel was concerned about the Messiah saving them. It was them against the world back then. Again, I'm not advocating, I'm simply describing. But it was not the whole world that the Messiah was supposed to come for. And Simeon, a good Jew, stood up in front of everybody and said, this child is the hope of all the nations, a light to show who God is to the whole entire world. The, 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 the blessing of Israel. What was the last part of that? I missed it. The glory of your people, Israel. Man, you want to talk about some high expectations for a child? I was just praying for married and gainfully employed. Once again, you guys are slower than first service today. I'm just going to say that. And you know what? I got three out of five so far. Don't tell my wife, but I said three out of four in early service and then had to correct myself. Yes, I forgot how many kids I have. When you have five, that happens. Imagine the expectations that Mary and Joseph must have had for Jesus. What an incredible burden to bear. What an incredible thing that they had to carry. And yet Simeon continued on. I mean, it says that Mary pondered these things and and they were amazed at at what he said and and there was all of this awe happening, but then he continued. And and let me read this part again just so that you kind of get it because it's kind of confusing what he says. 
let's just hear the second part of what he said. It says in verse 33, of course, that Jesus' parents were amazed at what he said. And then he goes on to say this in, th- in verse 34. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary specifically, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result of the deepest thoughts, as as a result, many of the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very own soul. I would imagine at this point, Mary's thinking to herself, you know, I don't want to know anymore about his future. Because the things that he was saying to her were troubling to say the least. Listen, he will cause people to rise, others will fall, many will oppose him. Nobody wants to be opposed and nobody wants their kids to be opposed. I don't know about you, but I want my kids to succeed at life, but I don't want people messing with them, amen? And it's for that very reason that, interestingly enough, when I went and told my grandmother, who was very, I was very close to, she lived a quarter of a mile up the road from my house. Everybody should have a grandma a quarter of a mile away so you can run away from home when your parents get obnoxious. Amen? <laughs> that was the grandma I ran to. And one day, after God placed his call on my life, I went to my grandma and I thought she'd be so proud of me. I said, Grandma, I think God is calling me to go into full-time ministry. And my grandma did not get an excited look on her face. She got a sad look on her face. And she looked at me and she said, Jeffrey, are you sure? (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. It's exciting. She's like, well, Jeffrey, I just sometimes see how they treat our pastor at the church. And I don't know if I want that for you. Now, granted, I went to a small country church filled with people who were cousins And they were often very unkind to each other, let alone the pastor who was doing the very best he could. But you see, that's what it means to be in leadership is that you're painting a target on your back. And and Mary began to understand that, I think, from what Simeon was saying because Simeon was essentially saying to these people, Jesus is going to be a catalyst. He's going to be a change agent. Everywhere that he goes, he will create a reaction. People will love him or they will hate him. But one thing is certain, wherever Jesus goes, things will not stay the same. They're going to change. People will rise, others will fall, some will love him, some will hate him. But when it's all said and done, when Jesus goes into a place, the place will be changed from the inside out. And in fact, there's no way anyone could have known how accurate Simeon's prediction was because the entire calendar of history, my friends, has been rewritten because of Jesus. A.D. and B.C. I know scholars don't use those terms anymore, but I grew up with them, so get over it. Right? History is split and described based on Jesus' birth. He would change everything. God has that same desire for every single one of us. That when we come into a a space, a place, a room, a, a, a country, a town, that once we have been there living the gospel of Jesus Christ, that nothing can stay the same once we've arrived. I believe we are all called to be like Jesus. We all won't have the same impact that he did, but in every relationship and in every place that we go as followers of Jesus, we should be creating the kind of change that brings about the kingdom of heaven coming on earth as it is in heaven, just as Jesus prayed. 
And some of you are thinking, well, pastor, I appreciate the fact that you're saying all this to these parents who've got kids to raise. And, you know, these kids are the hope for the next generation. Well, I got news for you. You were all kids at one point. Amen? Raise your hand if you were never a kid. (laughs) I have suspicions about some of you because, you know, that comedian used to say, I was born at a very young age. Okay, you're, you're getting there. We're getting there. Listen, we were all kids at one point, and if I were to do a raise of hands, many of you probably were dedicated in a church, or maybe you were baptized in a church. Some other traditions do that, and it means somewhat the same thing, but not exactly. Someone had a hope for you, like Jesus' parents had for him, that one day you would grow up to be a change agent for the kingdom of God, and that people's lives would be changed because you were present in their lives. And it's my desire today that as we dedicate these children that you will rededicate yourself to being everything that God has called you to be and wanted you to be since the time that you were this big. That's my desire for you. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come before you and I give you thanks and honor for these words that have been spoken um, by the gospel writers that give us a picture into the story of Jesus' life a picture that is both beautiful and frightening at the same time, as is every parent's um, view of the future. Sometimes our kids scare us to death, and sometimes we have great hope for them. But Father, I pray that you would help us to see that both the exciting things in life that are in store for our children and the the, the terrible things, the the things we wish we could help them avoid, are all a part of you creating them and, and guiding them to become all that you want them to be. And we ask, Lord, that you would guide this time now as we prepare to dedicate these children and these families to follow you with all of their might, that the decisions that they make and the vows that they take here today would be vows that will last a lifetime. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Brian and the kids will be here in two minutes. I finished two minutes early. Somebody write that down. Two minutes early, I see Brian back there. I think they're gathering the kids together. So let me give you some instructions as the kids come in. Um, We're dismissing our children's ministries into the room so that they can be a part of this, just so that you know. And if you have a child that you took downstairs before service, they're going to come in and try to find you right now. So help them find you and get seated with you. At the end of the service, you're welcome to take them back downstairs to get their stuff, but we're not going to do a formal checkout process because we figure if they find you in here, you should be able to keep track of them till you get them out the door. So, yep. So they do need to go downstairs and get stuff. So, everybody, if you see your child, motion for them to come see you. And let's get all of them seated with their parents real quick. Yeah. Or yeah, you older kids can sit. Oh, they're still downstairs. Okay. They're coming. Boy, it sounds better in here already, doesn't it, with all them kids? That's great.
All right. Did everybody find a parent to sit by? Okay, if anybody has a child sitting right beside of you and they're not yours, say something, okay? <laughs> say something quickly. We're going to go ahead, not quickly, but we're going to move ahead so that the kids don't get restless. In the Church of God, we celebrate not infant baptism, but the, the service of child dedication. The precedent for this, this dedication ceremony is found throughout the scriptures. We just studied one of them in the presentation of Jesus by his parents at the temple. But there is also the presentation of Samuel by Hannah in 1 Samuel 1.28. Plus, Paul in his writings reminded Timothy that from a child he had known the Holy Scriptures and been taught them. I love the words of Jesus when he said that the little ones are infinitely precious to him. And, and he told the disciples, let the children come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Children are imperative. They're important to God, and they should be important to us as well. In the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, um, the, the, the Jews in that passage said this about the teaching and the passing on of tradition. They said, you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to the commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're away on a journey, when you're lying down and when you're getting up. So the implications of Scripture are that we are to, in every moment of our lives, do our best to not only teach our children, but to set an example for them in our comings and our goings. And that is the word of Scripture. So in obedience to these commands to raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, the following parents are going to bring their children to present them to the Lord. And I'm going to invite them, as I read your names, to come and simply stand across the front. Go ahead and spread out until you're all the way across, and that way we'll be able to get people around you in a few minutes. So let me read off the names of those who are coming. Uh, first is Bruce and Amy Lynn Weller. Are they in here? Yep, there they are. They're, uh, you guys sit in the back row all the time. I couldn't find you. All right, and they're bringing Jacob, Braxton, and Gunnar Salmon. All right, and then next is Sydney Weller. And Sig Sydney, of course, is bringing Braden. <laughs> and then Connor and Nicole Bowserman are bringing Aubrey. You guys sat in the middle. What were you thinking? It's good to see Connor in church. Connor runs our um, live stream a lot of times, so a lot of times he doesn't get to sit in here with us. We appreciate his part in that. All right, and then we have uh, Brian and Cassie Spitters. Here they come. And they're bringing Theobel. And then Stuart and Isabel Pilars. I hope I'm saying that last name correctly. I've only ever said it to myself, so I don't know. <laughs> All right. Um, they're bringing Oliver and Leo, or Leonardo. I've just found out in the written form that's his actual name, so come on up. And then finally, uh, Rachel and Jesse Beaver are bringing Olivia and Paisley to dedicate. What a good-looking bunch of kids and adults. What do you think? Yeah. All right, I'm going to invite you who are up front to turn and face me for just a moment. And what I'm going to do is read some, some of these um, vows that, that you are going to say I do too. If it be your intention as a group to present these children to the Lord and to pledge yourselves to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, would you please answer we do to the following promises? <laughs> He's fine. 
I usually get to hold all these babies. I'm a little disappointed in this. I'm not going to be able to do that. All right, here's the first one. Do you here this day recognize these children as the gift of God and give heartfelt thanks for God's blessing? Do you here this day dedicate to the, them to the Lord who gave them to you? Do you here this day pledge as parents that you will bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord? Do you here this day promise to give them every possible benefit of home and of school and of the church? Do you here this day ask God's blessing upon their lives to guide, guard, and direct them through all of their years? Do you here this day promise to love others unconditionally and in so doing set an example for them of what it means to love? Congregation, would you now rise? And you guys can face outward now if you'd like. As a congregation, you've heard these parents make promises before God, but they will be unable to keep all of these promises unless they have help from those that love them. And I believe that all of you who are here today fall within that category, whether you're a part of this congregation or a part of their family or simply friends. And so, let me ask you as a congregation, do you promise to support the efforts of these parents with your prayers and your words and acts of encouragement? If so, would you please answer, we do. At this time, we are going to have a prayer of dedication, and I would invite friends, family, and anybody else that would like to come up to simply come up and gather around each of these couples and lay hands on them while we pray. So if you are part of the family, you'd like to come up, just come up and let's make sure that everybody has somebody with hands on supporting them. Wonderful to see so much support. If the rest of you would just extend an outstretched stretched hand toward the front, you're kind of laying on hands by proxy here. Let's pray together. Our God, we come before you today and we thank you that you are the God of life and that you have created life and that you, as we read earlier, you knew these children before they were ever born. You knew every day of their lives and, and who they would be. God, we pray that you would be with these children that are presented today, that you would um, bless them, that you would um, be beside them at every moment of every day. And, and we know that when they grow up, they will have a decision to make whether or not they choose to follow you. But we pray even now that you would begin to walk with them as they make that decision. And God, I pray for these parents, that every single one of them would feel the responsibility of, of what um, they're trying to do in raising these children the right way, that you would give them the peace, that you would give them the patience that you would give them the strength and the energy that they need to keep up with all these little ones and that you would allow them more than anything to embody Christ-like love in the lives of their children and, in, and, and to everyone around them. We pray that these kids would grow up in homes where your love is celebrated and displayed regularly. God, we ask that you would take these children and make them your own. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said? Amen. 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 All right. Could you hand those out for me to the...
As you return to your seats, we're going to sing you out in just a moment. And Pat is handing out certificates to most of you. We have a couple that are still being filled out, so you'll get yours later. We'll get those done. All right. We've never uh, done this song before, but we thought it would be appropriate for today. And so we will ask you to stand with us and just join in worship as we use this as our benediction today.
Peace to love and to serve the Lord. Have a great day.